Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Somewhere nestled deep in the canon of Dr. Seuss, somewhere between, and to think I saw it on Mulberry Street and McGilliot's Pool, is a lesser-known tome of Dr. Seuss. <laughs> this book is called Bartholomew and the Oblique, or Ublek. Has anyone heard of this book before, Bartholomew and the Ublek? Not a single person, one person in the back. All right. So... I'm going to submit to you that Dr. Seuss has solved the mystery of Jesus' miracles because miracles cannot occur. And today we're talking about a person walking on water. Bartholomew in the Ublek is a story about a king and his servant. And the king is sick of all the elements that come down, the four things that come down, the rain, the snow, the fog. And he says, I'm the king. I'm going to order magicians to create a new thing to come down from above. And so the magicians come up. And a new thing is created. It starts flowing out of the sky. The Oblek. The Oblek behaves differently than other liquids. It flows and behaves like a liquid. However, Dr. Seuss was onto something because Dr. Seuss understood that fluid mechanics is a strange thing. For those of you who are engineers, you might know about this some. It behaves like a liquid, but when sheer force, tensor force is applied, it suddenly becomes like a solid and can't be moved. You all can play with this afterwards. There's a substance out there that when force is applied to it, what was liquid suddenly becomes solid. I think we have a, a photo of the oobleck here, this is the king covered in the oobleck. Now people have named this substance the oobleck because it behaves like the, the substance in the story. What I'm going to submit to you is that it's possible to walk on liquid. Let's check out a video of people walking on oobleck. Unfortunately, the sound is uh, not connected this morning, but you can see this is a liquid that people are thinking of walking on, and lo and behold... You can walk on water. When the, the force is applied, the molecules actually contract into one another, and you're able to uh, behave like a solid. There's other types of, these are called non-Newtonian fluids. For instance, ketchup is a non-Newtonian, non-Newtonian fluid. It actually works the exact opposite way. As force starts getting applied on it, it actually gets thinner and starts flowing more quickly. I think you've all experienced the tapping on the ketchup bottle. But as you can see, it is in fact possible to walk on water. Now I bring this up because there's been a generation of theologians (laughs) and you see you can sink in it as well as you see this boy is actually sinking into it if you don't apply the force so you gotta gotta move somewhat swiftly. 
um, there's been a generation of theologians and people who have basically come at this premise that miracles are impossible. Miracles cannot be done. And so as we read the Bible, we have to explain away the different miracles that occur because they simply cannot occur. Um, All right, we can move on from the video now. (laughs) Okay, so today's story is about Jesus walking on water. And my thesis for you is that Jesus walked on water. It was not Ublek, and we do not need to explain away, as some theologians have done, have said, well, Jesus couldn't have been walking on water because that's impossible, so there must have been a sandbar, some silt that had built up so that it appeared that he was walking on water. Rather, today I'm going to talk about how the miraculous nature of Jesus walking on water is not only what we should believe about what happened, but it's also key to understanding our faith and key to understanding the Gospel of John, which is the book that we've been going through. In order to fully understand this miracle, we're going to discuss it in two separate parts. And these are, as you heard um, Alicia just read, the, the statements that Jesus made as he made it to the disciples. He said two things to them. He said, it is I, and he said, do not fear. So as we're tracking today, those are the two areas we're going to explore about the miracle of Jesus walking on water. I spoke uh, about a month and a half ago about the miracle of water being turned into wine. And so this is another one of the miraculous signs in John. There's about seven of them. And what I explained then, and I'll remind you now, is that John, at the end of the story, says that he's being very selective about what he explains. In John 20, he explains that the miracles that he selects, if he had tried to explain them all, would have filled the world, but instead he's giving certain ones in order to explain who Jesus is and why he came to earth. So when we encounter something miraculous, a sign in John, we need to look deeply and think about why is John selecting this particular experience, this sign, to convey to us something about who Jesus is and why he came. And this sign of walking on water is somewhat unique because most of the signs that appear in John are accompanied by a long discourse, an explanation for why Jesus did this. He's basically laying it out there for his disciples, his followers, but also for us so that we understand why he came. Jesus walking on water is different because there's no long discourse afterwards explaining why he came. Rather, I'm going to suggest to you that this miracle is part and parcel with what Tripp talked about last week, with the miracle of feeding the 5,000. In order to understand this, we can look at the text right before what Alicia read that Tripp finished with last week. The reaction of the people towards Jesus after he had miraculously fed 5,000 people. In John 6.14, he says, uh, the people responding, and they say, this is indeed the prophet who is to come to the world. And then it goes on and saying, perceiving that they're about to come and take him by force, To make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Jesus did a miraculous sign last week to provide food to all these people. And rather than realizing that we're going to talk about as Jesus gets into the explanation, I think we're going to get back to that in January actually, um, because we're going to take a break to to preach on um, Advent in the next three weeks. But Jesus goes on and explains how The miracle of giving the bread is actually a show that he is the bread of life, not that his mere purpose is to be, um, to make your, your 
your goals, your purposes met. His purpose is to give you himself, to be the bread of life. And the crowd, and the disciples as well, see this amazing miracle, and they misperceive it. And they say, Jesus is able to give us what we need, so let's make him king. And they decided that they were going to do this by force. And so I'm going to suggest to you that this miracle is in place to supplement and to augment the, that message of saying that the people had missed why Jesus had come for himself. He's saying, not only can I give you bread, but I am the bread of life. And now he's going to elaborate, that on, elaborate upon that to a very specific audience, to his disciples, to the people who he's going to send across the sea in his boat, or in the boat. Okay, so we're going to go on in the text. It says, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea and got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea, coming near the boat, and they were frightened. So Jesus has sent them out into the sea um, like I said, to be this selective audience. And I told you that, that the first part that we're going to be focusing on is his statement, it is I. Now, that statement is done in the context of what's going on here. And Jesus, after giving this amazing miracle of feeding people, of, of providing bread, is now going to make a very different statement about who he is. He's going to say, it is I, but he's also doing something that is clearly miraculous. He's not walking along the silt. He's not walking along a non-Newtonian fluid, he's performing a miracle. And this miracle would have deep significance for the Jewish people. It's not just amazing, but it's something that's deeply rooted in Scripture. Um, God had not only created the deep and separated it and hovered above it in the Genesis account in Genesis 1, but throughout Scripture, the way he interacts with the seas became a, a major theme of his power, of who God is, and his power to control Uh, the most uncontrollable thing that we know of in the natural world, of storms, of the raging sea. If you've seen the power of a hurricane on the Gulf Coast, you know that it is something that can destroy land, can destroy cities. New Orleans is still not the same after Katrina. The power of the sea is something that humans have not yet been able to overcome, the power of a storm. And so the raging sea is a theme that that shows up um, throughout scripture. One of those places would be in Job 9. This is a, something that might have come to mind as the disciples were experiencing this, or at least as we look back on it now. In Job chapter 9, verse 7, um, it describes, Job is describing God, and he says, He who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea. So not only was God the creator of the seas, but he also uh, has this foreshadowing of walking upon the seas, of trampling upon the waves. And this goes even further in Psalms. There's Psalm 77, which talks about this topic of the sea. It says, When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. So God had power over the sea. It wasn't merely this uncontrollable force, but he was the one who was able to control the uncontrollable force. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea. Your path was through the great waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. So Jesus wasn't performing a random miracle. Jesus was performing a miracle that was tied to these moments in Scripture that were foreshadowing this power over the oceans. 
Now, to give you a little context of what's going on here, we're in the Sea of Galilee, and this is a, a somewhat small body of water, but it was one that was known for experiencing severe storms. Um, I guess one of the reasons for this was because it was actually um, in a depression below sea level, about 700 feet below sea level, and the cool winds would rush in off the plain and cause, I'm sure Becky could explain a lot better how this all works as far as storms, because she's a science teacher, but the, uh, the change in pressure and the way that the water, the cool air interacts over the ground.